0: God is a God of revelation, and He reveals mysteries. And in Daniel chapter 2, He reveals not only what Nebuchadnezzar's dream means, but what he dreamed. And so much was at stake, and so much of the future of the known world would be within this dream and its interpretation. We'll find out more about this intriguing dream of Nebuchadnezzar and its interpretation today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Nebuchadnezzar has dreams. It seems like it's multiple dreams, and he's troubled, and his sleep left him, and he awoke in the middle of the night, is what it looks like. Now Sometimes we have a troubling dream, and we awake from that dream, and we we sometimes, maybe you guys can bear witness to this, sometimes you have a tough time remembering the essence of the dream. Like something shook you, but you're like, what was that about? Or you might have a good dream, like something good's happening. Like usually for me, I'm on the Dodgers playing shortstop, batting third, and, you know, I'm making, pulling down, you know, 25 million a year, and I don't want to wake up from the dream. I'm like, no, no, I want to go back to sleep right now. You ever been there before? Whatever your dream is, your good dream is. But sometimes we dream something and we feel the uh, stress of the dream or the excitement of the dream, perhaps, if it's something positive, But we don't remember all the details. And have you ever found that if you wake up and you don't really try to remember it, like immediately, it's gone. That's just kind of the nature of how we dream. There's a whole mystery in the world of dreaming. And so we find out later in Daniel 2.29, skip ahead for a second, what was happening. It says, as for you, O king, this is when Daniel's gonna tell him the meaning. While on your bed, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. Remember I told you fear of the future is big for many people, including pagan kings like Nebuchadnezzar. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. Now Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar that the dreams from God and God who's the revealer of mysteries is revealing the future to Nebuchadnezzar. And it tells us in verse 29 that when Nebuchadnezzar went to bed that night, he was concerned about the future. And he's probably wondering things like, you and I all wonder, what's going to happen? What's my future look like? Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's just become the king of Babylon. He might be wondering, what's the future of my kingdom? What's the future of my reign? How long will this last? All of those things. And he's going to get some answers from this dream about successions of Gentile nations beyond his own time. And so he was worried. He had just won the Battle of Carchemish, according to history. And even though he had come off some victories, he was still worried. And I think you and I can all uh, say that even when things are going well, when we go to bed at night and we put our head on the pillow, you know, sometimes we, we work through a number of different things that are on our mind. It could be something that happened during the day. It could be a question we have. It could be a job offer. It could be a question about our career or some important relationship to us. We might have a child on our heart or a grandchild. There's so many different things that can spin around at night. In fact, uh, they say that there's a lot of insomniacs, and some of you may be an insomniac in our world, and there's a lot of people who listen to radio all night long or watch television at night because they're insomniacs. And usually that's because they are rotating things in their brain that, you know, are maybe worries or concerns or some of you are, analyzers. And when you're going through something, you would dissect something up and down and left and right. And what if the, and what this? And, and then you say, honey, are you asleep? And they say, not anymore. What's your problem? Well, I'm trying to work through something and go to sleep. What's wrong with you? Count sheep. And you're like 99, 98. <laughs> and you've heard the old saying, instead of counting sheep, talk to the shepherd. Right. And so we all go through this. We're human. I don't know what makes you rest easy at night. When you put your head on the pillow, what puts you at peace? What gives you shalom? I'll tell you what makes me rest easy every night. My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've entrusted my life to him. I know to whom I belong. And I, and I am confident that he's able to keep what I've entrusted to him until that day. And that's how I rest easy at night. I don't know how the rest of the world does it, but there's certain people that can't even go to sleep without taking a pill or a drink or whatever. Nebuchadnezzar was wondering about the future even in the wake of victories over Egypt that he had just won at Carchemish. His capturing of Jerusalem, becoming the ruler of Babylon. One writer says, Why has there come to me at the very best and highest moments of my life The strange and disturbing thought that even this might be the material of tragedy. Why is so much that is good and beautiful marked so deeply and indelibly with clear signs of instability and frailty? Victory, we would say, is sweet, but it's also fleeting. We know it deep inside. We cannot hide for long in the shadow of our victories because we are reminded that it's all temporary. And we live on a temporary planet with a temporary mortal existence, right? And so this is what we all face. This is what philo- philosophers and theologians call the human dilemma. We all have to face it. The deep questions, the, we might even put them in the category of mysteries about life and death and the future. What are we to make of it? Well, we know that Jesus called Daniel a prophet in Matthew twenty four fifteen. And we know the book of Daniel speaks to this. And so here's the troubled king, Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe he's in his little nightcap. He's got a big N on it for Nebi, remember? You know, he's he's pretty, he's got a lot of money and he's got a lot of fame, right? He's got his jammies on and he wakes up with a cold sweat and the king, verse two, gives orders to call the magicians, the conjurers or the enchanters, the astrologers, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell his dreams, to, uh, tell, to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. So all the guys woke up in the middle of the night. They're all in their pajamas, right? What is it, king? What is it? What is it? You had a bad dream. Oh, I'm sorry. You want us to make it some warm milk? Do you want your blankie? Right? What's, what's wrong, Nebi? And Nebuchadnezzar, man, he's frazzled. He calls the magicians. That's, that's the Kartomi. The horoscopists, the ones who draw magical lines or circles. The, they learn the sacred writings of the Babylonians. The conjurers, this is uh, the asha. This is uh, those who practice enchantment and astrology. The sorcerers is kashaf or Kashap. It's those who practice magic or sorcery. They enchant. They use witchcraft. They whisper spells. And the Chaldeans are probably a class of wise men. Remember, 600 years later, wise men will come from the east and they will say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? Right? They come to King Herod. How did they know about a prophecy? Because Daniel was in Babylon and Daniel was able to spread the news about the coming Messiah. And so each of the separate departments, if you will, of the wise men of Babylon are called. These guys are supposed to be those who possess knowledge of divination. They could divine the future or the past or even the present. They could understand omens. They could expound on dreams and prodigies. They were skillful in casting horoscopes. This is what they had on their resume. So if you're the king, who are you going to call? You're going to call the people who are supposed to be experts in these kinds of things, in the secret things, the mysterious things like dreams and, and that sort of thing. And of course, Babylon is a, is a place that is filled with all kinds of paganism and, uh, you know, uh, unbiblical type of religion, gods and goddesses. And here's, a, here's the king. He's had a bad dream. He's, sh- he's shook. And when we learn about the dream, we're going to see that an image is smashed, in the dream. And it's, 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 you know, basically turned into dust. And he's wondering, is that me? Who is that? And how long till that happens? And he's got all kinds of questions. So the king said to the people he called in, I had a dream. Verse three, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. The dream NIV troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the Chaldean spoke to the king in Aramaic and said, a common greeting to a king, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will declare the interpretation. So they said, O king, live forever. Common, common salutation. Bible students, please note from Daniel 2.4 to Daniel 7.28, it's written in Aramaic. Aramaic seems to be the language spoken in the court of Babylon. It is interesting to note that while the majority of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And of course, we know the New Testament is written in what's called Koine Greek. There is a portion of Daniel written in Aramaic. And it is here from Daniel 2.4 to Daniel 7.28. The question is why? Probably because it's the common language of that day. And so you would go over to Babylon, if you will, and learn Aramaic, which is pretty close to Hebrew. We do know that in Jesus' lifetime, it would appear that that's what he spoke was Aramaic. And there are some questions about the dating of the book of Daniel, of course, among liberal scholars. But it is interesting to note that I think this gives strength to the argument of the authenticity of the book, that part of it's written in Aramaic and part of it is written in Hebrew. Uh, Here's what uh, one says, one writer says. He says, no one writing at a later date would have written part of the book in one language and part in another. A later imposter would have written it exclusively in Aramaic. An earlier imposter would have written it in Hebrew. And so the fact that it's combined is an interesting, I think, strength to the authenticity of the book. And so, of course, they say, king, well, tell us about your dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And the king said to the Chaldeans, uh, the command from me is firm. This is what I firmly decided If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. So let it be written, so let it be done. Not only do I want you to In the month of October, the number one theme is Halloween. Houses are decorated and kids drag their parents to the store to get the costume they want to wear for their holidays trick or treat night. There are those that take the holiday on a darker path, What do you know about the occult? People are often fascinated with it, but it is far from innocent. It is dangerous. God warned his people in the Bible to understand what it is and have nothing to do with it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is a DVD available to you this month by Pastor Michael Lance. The video includes teachings and interviews that will help expose the occult for what it is and shine the light of Christ's power over it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is available as a thank you when you give a donation of any size in support of Walk in Truth. Call 844-48-TRUTH today. That's 844-48-TRUTH. No one writing at a later date would have written part of the book in one language and part in another. A later imposter would have written it exclusively in Aramaic. An earlier imposter would have written it in Hebrew. And so the fact that it's combined is an interesting, I think, strength to the authenticity of the book. And so, of course, they say, King, well, tell us about your dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And the king said to the Chaldeans, "Uh, the command from me is firm. This is what I firmly decided. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. So let it be written. So let it be done. Not only do I want you to explain the interpretation of my dream, I want you boys, I know you're sleepy, (laughs) wipe the sand out of your eyes. You need to tell me the dream and what it means. Now, can you imagine being these guys? You're in your nightcap. You know, you're just barely waking up. What's going on? What do you mean? We don't know. Nobody knows a man's thoughts but that man. How could anybody know what you dreamt unless you tell a person what your dream was? They can't read your mind. They can't know what you dreamt. Now there are two views. There are some scholars based upon the King James Version, where it says, the thing has gone from me, that believe that Nebuchadnezzar legitimately forgot his dream. That's why he's asking these bigwigs in the kingdom to tell him the dream and the interpretation. There are others who believe that he has lost trust in them, And so to prove out that they are authentic, he wants both the dream and its interpretation. He kind of figures it this way. If I tell them the dream, they could tell me anything. Well, your dream means this. How will I know if they're correct? But if they can tell me what I dreamt and the interpretation, now we're on to something. I think most commentators lean in the second group, that he remembers the dream, but he's trying to verify if they're really authentic. So he wants to see if they can really see behind the veil, if they can really understand these kinds of things. So likely, if you have a King James, it's just saying, this this is what I've decided. You need to tell me the dream and the interpretation. Some years ago, there was a man named John Edward. He claimed that he could speak to the dead, and uh, he practiced what was called cold reading on people. He'd bring a movie star in, and this is some years back, and he would say, do you have an aunt named Emily? And the movie star would say, no. Do you have an aunt named Sue? No. Do you have an aunt named Joanne? No. Do you have an aunt named Betty? Yes! Yes, I do! Oh! Now, in baseball, we call that you're batting 250. You're a one for four, right? Swing and a miss. Swing a mess. But in cold reading, you throw things out. Did someone in your family at one point leave a ring behind as a family? <gasps> My great grandmother <gasps> left a ring. Now, how many people don't have some sort of heirloom? So they get something that you'll bite onto, like, oh. Um, and then all of a sudden, once you've bit, they start reeling you in and you start thinking that they can speak to the dead. So John Edward had a live studio audience one time and he said, there was a, a couple, they had come in and they were really distraught over a dead dog. Now, I'm a dog lover, and, uh, and, and John Edward claimed that he was now speaking, communicating with the dog. The dead dog was, he was speaking to the dead. This is something that he could do. And he said, The dog is running up the steps <laughs> in the studio. He's sitting on your lap right now. <laughs> right, Reggie? Right? Don't, I don't know what that looks like, but. People were actually buying this, and you're like, Are you kidding me? Movie stars and, and the gullibility, and you're like, No way. They don't really believe he was 0 for 7 and he got one thing right, and they think he's a, a genius talking to the other side. How was this possible? But people, sometimes they, they are highly suggestible when they're very emotional. Well, whatever the king's doing, He's just basically saying, <laughs> you thought your boss was tough, right? Uh, I want the dream and the interpretation, or you're all dead, and I'm going to ter- turn your houses and families into a rubbish heap. How does that sound? So, but if you declare the dream, six, and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and, a, and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. Now, can you, can you say feast or famine here? <laughs> Now, you're going to get great reward, a great position in the kingdom if you can tell the dream and the interpretation. But if you can't, you're dead. This is job pressure. I know some of us, you know, you fought free ways to get here and your boss is tough and whatever. You haven't had a boss like Nebuchadnezzar. I I doubt you have, right? And so they answered a second time, verse 7, and they said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. You can sense some rising dismay. Maybe some little side meetings going on. He's asking us to tell him, Nobody can do that kind of thing. Somebody go back to him. Somebody speak some sense into him. King, come on. Really? How can we do this? And the king answered and said, I know for certain, verse 8, that you are bargaining for time. Inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, I know you're stalling. I know you're bargaining. That if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. Okay? Maybe they had a bad track record. Maybe he doubted their abilities. I don't know. But he is firm as firm can be. So the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king. inasmuch as as no... Notice what they're doing here. No great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. No great king has asked anything like this before. This, this is unheard of. It's, it's unthinkable. It's unconscionable. Can you imagine... And the king's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let me just say it one more time. If you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, you dead. Off with your head. (laughs) This is it. I don't care how much you beg. I don't care how much you plead. It's over. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult. Verse 11, there is no one else who could declare to it except Uh, Except, declare to the king, except gods who, whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. The gods would have to do something like this and they don't hang out with people like us. Wait a minute. I thought you guys had a, a connection on understanding omens and, and dreams and all of this stuff. But now you're saying you don't? Now we know that our God is actually, actually did make his dwelling among men. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus would say later, if you've seen me, John 14, 9, you've seen the Father. Matthew 1, 23 says, His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Oh, if they only had a god like we have. Amen. But they had false gods and goddesses that couldn't deliver anything because all they were were idols. All they were were potentially demonic, but all they were were idols of wood and stone. Well, the king became indignant, verse 12. He was very furious, and he has a record of doing this kind of thing, as we'll see at the fiery furnace, and gave orders to destroy, notice, all the wise men of Babylon. Nebi is angry and he says, That's it. I've heard enough. Kill them all. And a decree is made, and he's gonna sign it. The decree goes forth that the wise men should be slain, and they look for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Now, where were Daniel and his friends at this time? I don't know. They may have had a tea time, you know. I heard that there's some good courses in Babylon. I don't know. I don't know where they were. Maybe they were considered too young to be part of this committee. They're probably still teenagers, of course, at this time. Maybe they were off on an assignment. But all of a sudden, can you imagine? Maybe you took a sick day at work. Maybe you took a day off. And you, get a, you get an email. Uh, all the wise men in departments A, B, C, and D are to die at noon tomorrow. What? What happened? What went wrong? I take a day off and this is what happens. Come on, man. And so All the the hit squad goes off. I think maybe they're going to take people to death row maybe or kill them on the spot. I don't know. But all of a sudden they go looking for Daniel and his friends. And Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Ariok 14, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. It says in the NIV, Daniel spoke with wisdom and tact. If ever there was a time for tact to become your long suit, it's now. It's like Arioch shows up at the door and says, Daniel, you're a nice guy, but the king's had a really bad night and a bad day. And I'm sorry, but we got to kill you. This is a time to think of something tactfully to say, like, could we have a little bit of time? What's going on? Could you explain the problem? Maybe we can come up with a solution. And he answered and said to Ariok, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Why so severe? Why so harsh? And Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. He told him about the dream. He told him about the interaction. And so Daniel bravely, boldly went in and requested of the king 16 that he would be given, that he would give him time. That's a bold request because that's something that Nebuchadnezzar did not want to give to the magicians who were there before. He said, I know you're stalling. But somehow Daniel was given favor by God in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Well, this is faith. Daniel says, please give me some time. What would you do now if you were Daniel? Let's say the king says, all right, you got 24 hours. You're a bright young man. You seem to be head and shoulders above the rest. 24 hours. All right, here you go. Thanks, King. Whew. 24 hours. Tick, tick, tick. Clock's ticking. What do you do? Let's see. I'm going to go Google dream interpretation. So <laughs> oh, I got to find a good article. Under- What's that 1-800 hotline number that you could call about this kind of stuff? Uh, Maybe that's an older idea. What do you do? Hey, listening family, it's Pastor Michael. wanna tell you another exciting thing about walkintruth.com. It's the store that's there. There's some great products up there on some intriguing subjects available in CD and DVD format. When you purchase one of those products, you actually support the radio ministry and help us reach out to more people like you. It's walkintruth.com. Click on the store, check it out, get a product, and you'll be partnering with us in the gospel ministry. We appreciate you. We love you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.